to Pandemic Unfiltered. I started this podcast with a few friends to share stories, insights, and opinions from the coronavirus pandemic. At the time of recording this, there are more than 660,000 cases worldwide and 121,000 cases in the U.S. Just yesterday, the U.S. became the country with the most number of coronavirus cases in the entire world. Today, I'm super excited to speak to Alex, who's stepped up in her community by establishing the Service Workers Mutual Aid Fund. We're going to talk about mutual aid, charities, politics, and more. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad Uh, to be here. How did you first hear about the coronavirus? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I actually don't remember the first time I heard about it. I try to keep up with the news. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was definitely seeing it in the news, you know, early January at the latest, like, you know, on BBC, whatever. There's a province in, in China, Wuhan, that's like experiencing this stuff. And I was like, that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably like just through the news. And then I remember getting into like February um, being in gov class and like every time someone would go up to present the news they'd be like coronavirus and we'd uh-huh. be like hey we get it mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of being more present in my mind with that um, but it was still kind of January and February was still like the China thing like it's only happening there mm-hmm. and okay so you run a mutual aid fund right I ran, yes. We closed down Tuesday, but, you know, for a good week and a half, that's what I was doing, yeah. Mm -hmm. What does mutual aid mean? Yeah, I mean, the term itself is, has a long history, and it has a lot of ties to, um, like, political organizing. So, you know, you have to be very careful about how you talk about it, because mutual aid is not the same thing as charity, and it's not the same thing as your typical fundraising. Um, mutual aid historically has been used by like leftist groups, by anarchist groups, um, as a way to organize and to share resources outside of like state structures, like the government, and outside of like corporate structures, like nonprofits and charity and stuff like that. Um, and the reason for that is because those systems are inherently like hierarchical. There's always going to be a boss that's telling you where the money should go. There will always be like a president, a superior, you know, someone who directs the process from the top down. And that's something that various community organizers have seen as really harmful to communities. So especially when you're um, experiencing a crisis like this, you know, people need help now. They need groceries now. They need supplies now. Um, And the best way to get supplies to people is just to connect with your neighbors, connect with people online. And share those things directly in a way that's horizontal as opposed to hierarchical. So I guess I would define mutual aid as, um, you know, the distribution of resources horizontally between people, um, you know, as part of community care outside of government structures and outside of um, any sort of hierarchical type of organization. That's that's a great explanation. I like that. 
<laughs> so how did you like come up with the idea? I mean, obviously it was spurred by the coronavirus, but like when was it like from, oh, like obviously our community needs help too. Let's actually get something done. Yeah. Um, it was directly inspired by another fund that I saw. Um, I follow uh, lots of different accounts, like especially like organizers and like leftists and stuff on Instagram. And this one account at Veggie Comrade, shout out to Jordan. She's a college student in New Hampshire and a worker. Um, and, you know, mutual aid and funds, these are not new things. You know, people are doing this constantly. So I saw that she was able to raise, I think, like $900 for people. And I was like, that's crazy. She helps people with like immediate like grocery bills, medical bills. I was like, that's so cool. Like, I wonder if we could do something like that. And what directly inspired me was, um, you know, my friend Raghav sent me this Twitter thread from Governor DeWine on that Sunday night. Um, I think it was the 15th, March 15th. And, you know, it hit us like that he was closing bars and restaurants. And we were like, well, that's, you know, obviously a sign that this is getting more severe. Um, and then we thought about what's going to happen to those service workers that are, you know, they're already underpaid because they're tipped workers. So, you know, even if they are still trying to get some sort of income, like they're not going to be able to survive in the short term. Um, you know, even if they can apply for unemployment benefits, um, you know, there's lots of complications with that. It's delayed. Sometimes it's not even enough um, or maybe they're undocumented or they have some other sort of issues so that they can't actually apply for state benefits. So, you know, we saw a need in Ohio specifically to get people the things they need now, like immediately. So inspired by the different funds that were already going on um, with organizers all over in the U.S. and all over the world, but also kind of that immediate issue at home, that's when we decided to launch the fund on Sunday night. But we set an original goal of $500 because we thought, you know, we're going to keep it local to Ohio. Like it'll just be Ohio service workers. That was our original scope. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll be able to help like 10 or 15 people. I think that was in the original caption that I posted to my Instagram. So I think that's what really inspired it. But then, of course, it got kind of crazy and we expanded from just Ohio to basically wherever you want. Um, and we ended up sending money to people from, you know, California, Minnesota, Canada, um, even like the Netherlands, I think we had a couple people. So like all over the world, wherever people were having a rough time, you know, we were able to help them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, um, how much people were you guys able to help and how much money um, did you guys like were able to like distribute? Yeah, so you know, like I said, we started the goal at 500. Mm -hmm. Um, and by Monday more, my, no, by Monday night, like at midnight, right. When it became Tuesday morning, I believe we hit 2000. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it blew up really fast. Um, because we were DMing all of these huge accounts that we really love and that they were, they were very kind and compassionate and sharing it. And that's how it kind of got really big. Mm -hmm. So we ended up raising 2000 the first day. And then by the end of our fundraising on Tuesday, the following Tuesday, so in a week, we had raised $11,000. Wow. So yeah, <laughs> um, awesome. that was the final number we landed on. We got super close to 11000 And we were uh, eventually able to help a total of 94 workers, which 
is crazy because again we really thought we were gonna like help some like 10 people with 50 dollars like wow um and we ended up helping 94 i think at an average of like 115 dollars each um awesome yeah and like that was wild to us um us me being me and ragav and mariah um because we you know we're just like students for amazing like we (laughs) we had no idea and i think what helped us raise that much money was obviously the kindness and the, the compassion from all the organizers that are also doing the same work every day, all the time on Instagram and on social media and in their communities. Right. But also like, you know, contacting our parents and our friends. And like, it was a combination of our community and like the internet that helped make mm-hmm. it so big. And we probably couldn't have raised as much as we did without the combination of both. And yeah, we were just super proud to be able to do that. And, you know, now that we're closed down, we closed because our donations were getting super slow and the system that we had set up of, you know, raising up to a goal and then distributing to like 30 people at a time would no longer be possible because we just like, we're getting, you know, maybe like 10 or 15 or $50 a day. And so it would have required like months and months to be able to raise enough to help, you know, more people. And it would have been a very like difficult process so now we're dedicating our resources to still helping people out directing them to other resources still organizing with people just like not in the space of this specific fund Mm -hmm. that's cool um I liked how you mentioned like social media and stuff because I feel like that was a really big um like was able to push the fund to more people and more people were able to see it you guys got I think you guys got like reposted by a few accounts with like tens of thousands of followers right mm-hmm. that was super cool what what do most people use this money for yeah so we had actually an option in the google form that people filled out to request funds um we had an option for them to tell us you know why they need the money obviously it wasn't mandatory because we don't want people to feel like they need to justify it mm-hmm. um because that can bring some shame sometimes um but people were very very frank they usually were like yeah i got laid off from my like waitressing job or like my bartending job and my waitressing job or like i'm a chef and i'm a waiter and like you know people were just very real um most people said that they had rent coming up honestly and they just had mm-hmm. no income so you know the first two rounds we didn't set a limit on what you could request we just asked people to request what they need and then we kind of just talked to them and told them what we could offer Um, and people were requesting like 2000 or $2,500 simply because they have rent due. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's what they needed. But, you know, people were saying like, I'm running out of medication. Like I need my meds, you know, I'm a diabetic or I, you know, I have bipolar disorder. I need my medication. Um, so that's something we were able to help with. Um, and some people were just like, yeah, I'm a single mom or like I have kids and like, I just want to be able to go get groceries for them this week. And like, you know, everyday expenses like that. So um, that's what happened for most people. There were also a couple of college students who were like, my tuition payment is still due next week, even though I'm like not at school anymore. (laughs) And that was really rough to hear because it's like, I don't think that's fair. You know what I mean? Like you're not even living in your housing anymore. You're not using the meal plan, but they're still going to make you pay like hundreds of dollars. So the whole coronavirus thing I think it's become pretty obvious that it's not like a short-term like crisis. Yeah. It's like a very long-term crisis. What can we do to help these people long-term past, you know, getting their meds like 
um, immediately, which is awesome because if they didn't, then that wouldn't be good at all. But like, there's such a long road ahead. And like, how can we continue supporting them? Because I feel like we're sort of just still on an uphill. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like, what can we do? Because there are so many people in so much need. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely do. And if you don't mind me being like overtly political <laughs> about what I believe, <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you what I think we need to do. And y- you mentioned so many people are in need. Well, the reason so many people are in need is because they don't have jobs, but the government and like private corporations are still requiring them to pay rent, pay mm-hmm. utilities, um, you know, pay for all of this stuff that costs like thousands of dollars all the time with no income. It's ridiculous. We need a countrywide rent freeze immediately. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a job and you're not making any income, you should not have to pay rent. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, You know, the state of New York put a moratorium on like mortgage payments. So if you own a house, your mortgage is frozen right now and you don't have to pay it until like after the crisis. And you know who that applies to is like landlords because landlords pay a mortgage, right? But where they get their money to pay their mortgage for the property is off of their tenant's rent. So they no longer in the state of New York, or landlords no longer have to pay their mortgage, but tenants still have to pay rent. So it doesn't make any sense, especially in New York where like 70% of people rent and they don't own their home Mm -hmm. or their apartment. So, you know, how do we help these people long-term is we take away all of these gigantic expenses that they have absolutely no way of paying. Um, and that includes stuff like healthcare costs, testing and treatment should be free. Obviously medical care at all times, in my opinion, should be free because it's a human right, but even more so now it just makes sense because people are finally realizing, especially people who are richer and can afford really good healthcare oh, it's not fair for these people who are struggling day to day to like make their basic expenses to be paying $10,000 for a testing and treatment for a disease they like did not intend to catch. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it was not planned. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think now is actually a really good time to be discussing how how we lift the burden off of working people, not just now and how do we help them long term, but like all the time. Right. Um, when this is over, mm-hmm. maybe like we consider, oh, like maybe people shouldn't be paying $3,000 for a one room apartment in the middle of New York City anytime <laughs> and not just now. So, yeah, I guess that's my answer to that is like, how do we support people long term? We fight for the changes we need now slash rent slash utilities and free healthcare, And then we fight to keep those things afterwards, because now we're, everyone's finally realizing like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be giving the stock market like $3 trillion over the course of two weeks or whatever, and then be leaving healthcare professionals and like working people like out in the dust. Mm -hmm. Um, I think long-term structural and political change is necessary because, you know, if capitalism and if our economy hits this bump in the road, I mean, it is a pretty big bump, right? (laughs) But (laughs) if it hits this bump in the road, right. Right. And this this gigantic curve in the road. Uh, and suddenly people are like dying. And now we realize now's the time to make changes. Mm-hmm. Then like, imagine what life is like for people at the bottom of this system all the time. And right. why aren't we making those changes all the time? Well, it's because right. it's not 
urgent to the urgent to the government yeah. um, at those times. But now that those people are also in danger and their profits are in danger, now they're thinking, oh, oh, maybe we'll give out checks to people. But mm-hmm. before it, you couldn't do that. Or maybe we'll, we'll give the empty houses that are being unused to homeless people. But that was never an option before, mm-hmm. but now it is. So then we're like, everything that we wanted was possible. It just wasn't happening because the government just didn't want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my answer to that one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the whole like COVID-19 has put a lot of people in the position that people were still already in, but it's just like a lot more people are in that position to um, make demands and like to, you know, shine a light on these structural issues. So it is a unique uh, point for politics and stuff right now, yeah. um, for sure. I think people also do like distributing like resources, like yes. physical resources versus money with, would it also be called a mutual aid fund or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it wouldn't be a fund because there would be no money, but mutual aid traditionally is about resources. The right. reason that we did it with money is because we did it online and like nationwide. But mutual aid is traditionally a community project. Your community, your neighborhood, your uh, family, that's who you'd be helping. We obviously extended that to mean, you know, workers as a family, service workers as a community, um, and did that with money because you can't exchange toilet paper through PayPal. But, um, you know, traditionally at the local level, mutual aid happens um, between people, you know, sharing resources. So I think that's also important to that's probably the most important investment you could make um, is learning who your neighbors are and learning what they need. Um, you know, shooting them a quick text and email and saying like, are you in need of anything? Do you have elderly people in your house? Can I go and get you something? Like mm-hmm. that's the most traditional type of helping your community out. I think it's really important right now as well. Yeah, for sure. Are there any safeguards in place for people who might take advantage of mutual aid? And I, I hope no one does, but is that like a possibility? Is there anything we can do about that or? Yeah, I think the most important way to safeguard against that is to not depoliticize it. If you're painting mutual aid as just a pool of money that is there just cause and it's just like a charity thing and it's whatever, then people take it less seriously. But if you are very explicit and clear about what it is. It is material justice. It is traditionally an anarchist organizing technique. Like people, I feel like if you understand and you respect the history of something, you're much less likely to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, obviously, there's always a risk that someone with bad faith is going to harm you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was talking to this, about this with my parents as well, is like, if we have $11,000, and we give like a hundred or two hundred dollars to people who are upper middle class instead of lower class, but the rest of the people who get the money are the people who need it. Mm-hmm. That is a step I would much rather take than to not do anything at all just because I'm suspicious of people. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think especially if you're doing this kind of stuff in your community, which I think is the most important way to do it you should know your neighbors. You know what I mean? You should know their names, their history. You should be able to talk to them, maybe not face-to-face right now, but in general. Um, And when exchanges happen like that, mutual aid usually um, on a community level isn't always between people you don't know. Um, And it's even better if you talk to people. I mean, 
I was on the phone. I was emailing, texting all of these people that I'd never met before. And I ended up making like a few friends. I ended up meeting people that I'd never even imagined knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's always a risk that people are going to do something bad, but it definitely doesn't outweigh the possibilities of making new connections and actually genuinely helping people Mm -hmm. because then you're building community. Um, And if someone doesn't want to be a part of that and they just see it as a way to cash in, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to judge that person either because they probably have stuff going on in their life too. So, you know, we did our best obviously to gather information on the people we were um, sending money to, but in the end, it's like, we're all in this together, you know, like, <laughs> I think everyone's so struggling to yeah. some degree and we can always like help. So yeah. I think I'm going to end off with sort of a broad question for listeners who want to do something and help someone. What are like some ways to get involved that we can just do, you know, right away? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say if you're privileged enough as I am to have like generational wealth or you, you, you live in a nice house and you have like material means um, and you're not struggling right now, redistribute that wealth to people who really need it. I'm seeing a lot of people like posting about their impulse online shopping and I'm like, that's really cool except people like 30 minutes downtown of you are like starving. So <laughs> maybe <laughs> take the resources you have and invest. Whether that be, I suggest investing in mutual aid funds. Um, if anyone wants to hit me up at m.alexandrayulia on Instagram, I can send you a bunch of funds that need your help right now. Mm-hmm. There's spreadsheets and spreadsheets of people requesting money for medical bills for et cetera, et cetera. That's, I think, the best way to do it. If you are like super scared of that for some reason, like sure, give to your local charity. Um, you can hear in my voice that I'm not that fond of charities. <laughs> But, you know, Wait, what, is your, what is your take on charities? Yeah, um, here's the thing. And this is something that I think is super unpopular with, I think, the middle class in general and people who generally see themselves as charitable people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this applies to my family as well. They've always given to charity and like see that as like a really good way to like give back. Right. The problem is that a nonprofit is still not really a nonprofit. Um, because you know, most of them pay their workers and most of them pay their CEOs quite well. So they do need to make a return on what they're doing, which means that their charity, the way that they accept money and give it out is always first and foremost, going to support their business model, their way of doing things in their system. And it's not fully invested in the communities they're helping, Mm -hmm. which is why you see huge foundations that give to like other random charities or communities but they're not invested in that community they have no understanding of what people are going through they don't make long-term personal connections with the people they're helping and of course it's always top down it's always well the wealthy have the means so they're going to give to the poor but you know the poor will stay poor we'll just make them like slightly less poor and then we will also make money off of that Mm -hmm. so you know i don't think it's something people want to think about but the structure we have of the government and communities not being able to support people well enough and then private charities step in and then trickle down the money in in a way, that structure just reinforces the inequality we have as opposed to really taking a look at the community and saying, how can we support each other 
how can we as individuals redistribute our wealth to people we know who need it instead of relying on a business model that still needs to pay their CEO like $800,000 a year (laughs) to do that for us. So I guess I would say that's my take. I, I know it's probably not popular, especially with people who feel really good about being charitable and giving to charities. I would say just like take a step back, really do your research about who who you're giving to, and then think about whether you could plug into more local organizing and really just give your money and your means to people who have been working really hard at the local level because I think that that's a much more powerful way to distribute your wealth as opposed to, um, you know, propping up these business models that are always going to be kind of that top down sort of technique. Are you like saying that? like the government or the structure shouldn't like maybe it's that um nonprofits or charities shouldn't exist because those inequalities should already be addressed and shouldn't yes. need okay okay yeah and i mean obviously the u.s has never been an egalitarian society and probably will not be fully egalitarian without any problems in the near future um however you know there are other countries where inequalities are much less severe Mm -hmm. and there is no nonprofit like, okay, the nonprofit sector is a huge thing globally. Don't get me wrong, but not, not every country sees that huge of an impact of private charities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if we actually had like a guarantee in our constitution or in our government of like homes for all, we wouldn't need thousands of, charities that supposedly give to the homeless to be making money all the time off of homeless people still being homeless Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so if we had the structures in place um for communities to help themselves and for you know even the government to help communities to an extent without encroaching on their abilities to do it themselves um we wouldn't need Bill Gates to swoop down and give vaccines to all the children because <laughs> we would be able to manage that ourselves. And obviously that's, that's something that I would love to see happen. Um, but I think it's just a perspective thing. Once you think about all the problems we have, um, you know, what are the most compassionate ways to fix them? It's not always to bring in a huge nonprofit that isn't really familiar with the community and then have them just do their thing even Mm -hmm. though they might not truly understand the structural problems in the community and what they're actually doing to reinforce that as opposed to helping out with it Mm. that's interesting I didn't I didn't think about it that way but that's like that's a good point thank you for what you've done to help not only our local community but obviously so many other people around the world so thank you so much you know, we're all doing what we can. So I encourage people, you know, just if you can 10 or 15 minutes a day, plug into what's going on in your community, plug into people you can help out. And that's also a form of taking care of yourself is um, knowing that if you help others, others will be there to help you. That's a good way to keep people strong and, and together during this time. Hello.